0: Here in Jonah chapter four, Jonah chapter four, and if you would look at verse ten and eleven, I'm going to get here eventually. But the Bible says, "Then the Lord," then said the Lord, "Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and it perished in a night." And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? What what an interesting way to end a book. That's just interesting to me. I would like to look really uh, just for a little bit tonight. I'm going to give you a definition here before we get started for the word compassion. Definition of the word compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Okay? It's not just it's just not sympathy or empathy, it's also compassion is the desire to alleviate the problem that's there, to alleviate the suffering that is going on. And that is a natural emotion for any human to have. It's compassion. We all have that ability to be compassionate people. And actually, almost everyone experiences compassion in one way or another. You see a a, a hungry child, and or remember those back years ago, you remember those... Uh, photos that were come, that would come out of Ethiopia, and they'd show these little kids and their little arms and their little bitty legs and these big bellies and and, uh, and people said, well, there, there's nothing wrong. No, they, they were bloated. They hadn't had any food. They were emaciated, and there was compassion that was drawn, and people sent money and money and all sorts of things and adopt a child and adopt this and adopt that. Why? Because they had compassion. They they as the the Bible says somewhere. Mine eye hath affected my heart, and, and compassion rears up, and you want to do something about it. And we we know that we 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 know that emotion. We're all uh, aware of that. Whether it's a hungry child, or a sick family member, or an injured animal. I mean, there's sometimes something uh, is is kind of helpless or. or uh, something that draws more compassion out of something, than watch some animal just kind of struggle under a load of pain that they can't do anything about. It kind of moves you at times. Now, certain animals, it doesn't move me at all. And I'm not going to get into that tonight. But uh, but dogs, dogs, they, you know, a poor dog, that moved move me. Their, their counterpart doesn't move me. I, maybe I've made myself, uh, I have no, comp- maybe a little, maybe a kitten would give me compassion. I'd have a little compassion for a kitten. But once they, Get over a certain age. I have no more compassion, but we do have compassion, right? We have compassion. Do you have compassion for cats? You do. Got another prayer request? <laughs> Maybe you remember that we're in the tsunami went through Indonesia, then another tsunami went through Japan, and you looked at the devastation. Hundreds of thousands and hundreds of millions of dollars around the world poured into those areas. Why? Compassion. Compassion. It's our natural inclination to feel sympathy and then attempt to do something about it. It's a human trait. But if you ever get so hardened and so cynical that you no longer have any compassion towards another... That's a miserable life, and there are people who get there. I mean, they have zero compassion. I mean, some people they and they take pride in it, like they're tough, like like you know they're they're the world's drill sergeant. You know, you know somebody lost somebody. Well, I mean, good grief, buddy. People die. Get over it. You know, it's like wow, that's rough. You know, or somebody has some financial misfortune. Well, good grief. I guess if they'd known how to manage money like I did, they wouldn't have had the problem. It's like, that's nice. I mean, it's weird, really, when somebody lacks compassion. But if they do, I'm telling you, what a miserable life. What a miserable person to be around who loses compassion. They have to do something to lose it because it's a natural thing for us to have. They harden themselves. Usually bitterness gets in and they lose compassion. But not only is a lack of compassion uh, a really grave issue, but here's what I want to look at tonight in Jonah. Misplaced. Compassion, compassion, but misplaced compassion. You know what? It might be more dangerous than having none at all. You say more dangerous? Why? Why would you say something like that? Well, uh, I don't know. Compassion toward the wrong thing will eventually bring you to the point where you believe your object of compassion is truth. It's a truth. And then you'll end up deceiving your own self. Having a misplaced compassion will, will bring you to a place of thinking what you have compassion on is a true thing to have compassion. And, and because emotions are connected to compassion, it's, it's really hard to be awakened by truth because it made you feel a certain way. Right? You ever had anybody say, they're they're explaining something to you and they tell you how you felt and you're like, yeah, but that's not really good. And you can't convince them otherwise because they have an emotion connected to it, right? And when you make a truth out of a confusion, when you make a truth out of a confusion, something that is confusion, now truth is subjective, I hope I am not wading too deep here tonight. Let me let me say it this way: you now you end up to, now it's up to you to decide what truth is. Misplaced compassion will it really lead there? Well, it is. It can to a place of confusion, and we see it all around us, don't we? It's confusing to say I am a Christian but to be pro-abortion. Well, right. that's a confusion. Right? It's, but somebody can be, can be emotional and say, "Yes, but when I was 12, I mean this happened, and I had this euphoric feeling and everything was wonderful, and I know this and I know that, and I know this, and I know, and uh, but I have zero compassion for that child in the womb, and I think it's OK. that's I mean, just bizarre, bizarre. It's, it's, it's confusing, in the very least, to say, "I believe the Bible, but never pick it up." Well, that's confusion. That really is. Yeah. To say I love my neighbor. And then when his cow gets in your field, you keep it? That doesn't. That's kind of confusing, isn't it? I'm talking about confusion, right? You say, well, hey, God made me a man. And you walk around in women's clothes. Well, that's confusing. And that's going on all around us. And the vice versa is true, too, really, friend. you right. I asked somebody one time. Well, I better not. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> focus. Don't go there. The list could go on, right? You get the idea? Confusion. Misplaced compassion eventually breeds, brings confusion when we breed confusion in our life and live life as if it's truth when it's not. We can deceive ourselves, come to a place where we will not be challenged and we will not be corrected. That's yeah. a dangerous place to be. The same thing happens with misplaced compassion. It's confusing. It's confusing. And when confusion, we have compassion on the wrong things, let me say this, values misplaced. We put value on the wrong thing. We put value on something, uh, a level of value that maybe it should have this much value, but we put all of this value and it's misplaced and then it's just confusing. Value misplaced. Contentment and joy is misplaced, and when contentment and joy is misplaced, you'll be left to really this some kind of a miserable existence, trying to get, trying to attempting to find joy in something that God never intended to fulfill you with joy. You have to you have to dig in here and stay tuned. I'm going to get to a place. All right, I'm going to get there. I promise. Yeah, this is a this is a really a good reason to remember. To be reminded why God is not the that God is not the author of confusion. So in our text tonight in Jonah, we're going to look at one man who God chose to reach a people, but his actions revealed where his compassion really was. And it was twisted. So I want to look at this tonight. Look at verse. Look at Jonah, chapter one, and verse one. God called Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me." And we see here that God has calls His people to a lost world. God, did you notice this? God called Jonah to go to a non-Israelite nation to preach to them so they would come to the knowledge of the truth, repent and turn to God. See, God has always God has always called people, his people, to go to the lost and to bring them to the knowledge of himself so they too will have a relationship with him. He's called people in the Old Testament. God has called people in the New Testament. He is still calling people today. Uh, the command to preach the gospel we know was given to the church. And when Jesus commanded that first church to go out and to preach the gospel, he was commanding all of those who had been Added to the church and all who were going to be added to the church to go out and preach the gospel. That's me. That's you. You say, I mean, you, uh, you're saying I got to do what you do. Not in this capacity, maybe not. Not you know. But there are other ways to preach the gospel, right? It's not just frothing and screaming up here like I get to do, right? Your preaching of the gospel might just be handing somebody the word of God. Uh, you know, what? Our, our track with a smiley face, I've noticed, I'm telling you what, I have not found somebody yet that does not smile when they see that. I'm telling you, just, it, it just, it's, it's, it just, you can't help it, but to smile and, and you know, they'll open up. They don't even know what it is. And finally they'll open up and they're like, oh, oh, okay. Right. And uh, I mean, what are you doing? You're preaching the gospel. You're giving them the word of God. In so many ways. The disciples fell under the command to preach the gospel. Amen. They did. Mary, Jesus' mother, fell under the command to really to preach the gospel. Mary Magdalene would have fallen under the command to preach the gospel. All of those who were in the upper room, the 120 of the first church in the upper room, fell under the command to preach the gospel. All of the thousands that were saved at Pentecost and added to the church Right. We're commanded to preach the gospel and you and I have been commanded to preach the gospel. He has commanded us. He has called us to reach the lost arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. Notice this. God has determined they're wicked. They're sinners. And instead of God just saying, well, their wicked sinners are out. No, God is, is because they're wicked sinners, God has compassion on them. Remember Sunday night, Jesus looked out at the mixed multitudes and he said, I have compassion on them. I'm not sending them away. God is a compassionate God. And he's, he is concerned. What does that mean? It moves him to action. His, his, his emotions and feelings of the condition of the world that, that we caused and we continue to cause on a daily basis moves him to action to do something about it. And here with these, the Ninevites, this, uh, this city of, a, of Assyria that was a wicked city, God was moved with compassion to do something about it while they were in their sins. God wanted to send uh, a preacher, a prophet to them to bring them to the knowledge of their sin first and to the knowledge of God. God had compassion on the Ninevites. This isn't an Israelite city. This is a Gentile city. This is a city that the Jews would have said, ah, nope, unclean, we're not going to do anything with them. Right? Well, do you see the mind of God, how it's opposite than, the, than Israel's mind? Let me tell you this. You may be in Christ for a long time, you may read your Bible a lot, you might, you might think you're right there, but it is possible to be living contrary to the mind and the will of God if we're not careful. We are not exempt from living a life that's contrary to the heart and the mind of God. Israel was doing it right here. God had, God has always been concerned about the world. Uh, Israel was God's vehicle for the for for, for the uh, revelation of Himself to get to the world, and they just didn't do it. And He had compassion on the Ninevites, and so He calls Jonah. He calls Jonah to go after them. Kind of proves God's compassion, doesn't it? He's going to send somebody to go to him. First John two two, and He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you know what propitiation means? I wrote it down here. It means the act of appeasing wrath and gaining the favor of the one offended. Right? God's wrath was upon us. Right? Rightfully so. And how did Jesus appease the wrath of the Father? Well, he he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we, we that that we should be made the righteous of God in Him, right? Jesus, what He He took the wrath that was ours. He volunteered for the wrath of His Father. Why? So He could gain the favor of the Father. He is our propitiation. We couldn't. He was it. So God has God has compassion on the Ninevites, and hey, God has compassion on us today. Amen. If, if God wasn't a compassionate God, you or I wouldn't be here. Rightfully so, we'd be in hell today. Uh, and God would have be nothing but just for doing it. Right. Preachers are still preaching the gospel. Tracks are still being handed out. Missionaries are still being called and sent. They are. Individuals are still reaching under other individuals. God loves you tonight. God loves you if you're watching online and you're not saved. He loves you. He's still intervening in lives today to reach the world with the gospel. He absolutely is. He had compassion on the Ninevites. So he told told Jonah to go. You see this? God called a person to reach a city of persons. How else are people going to come to the gospel without people who have the gospel? So look what Jonah did. <laughs> no. Verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What a dumb thing that is. And went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you notice this order in Jonah's life? He rose up to flee. God called him. He said, no. No. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not even going to stay around where I am now. I'm going to get as far away from this as possible. He had a free will. Right? He rose up to flee. He had his own free will. He, he God said, go. He said, no. I'm not going to them. Look at this. To flee from the presence of the Lord. Right? Too bad that's not possible. <laughs> David David said, Whither shall I flee from thy presence, right? If I I take the wings of the morning and fly, that you are there, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art with me? He said, I can't escape the presence of God. People say hell is the absence of God. Oh, no, it's not. Hell is is still the very presence of God without you ever being able to have a relationship with him. God is everywhere. How, How could he be absent from hell? Right? How could his presence be absent from there? It can't be it's not possible what a, what a torture that would be knowing the one who could have saved you the relationship you could have had is still there and you can't have it <clears throat> silly thing to think that we get away from God And Jonah went from Joppa to Tarshish I don't know if you've ever looked at this at a map Nineveh is about 600 miles east of Jerusalem Tarshish, Tarshish, that's hard to say, is about 2,200 miles west of Jerusalem on the western coast of Spain. Do you see what Jonah's doing? He's, I mean, as far as the known world is, he's saying, I am going to go as far as possible out of, away from the, where God wants me to be, I will go to the ends of the, uh, of the known world as far as I can to get away. He's like, I'm not even going to be 100 miles in. I'm going to the western coast. I'm getting as far, far, far away as possible. Yeah. And he had to pay it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what people will pay to get out of the, out of the will and out of the presence of God? I mean, like this is just flat out going. I mean, this isn't like, no, I don't want to go. And he's hanging around Jerusalem or in Israel, wherever he's lived. he's not just hanging. No, he, he, he took his money and his time. And he says, no, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. Can I tell you something? You might try, you might travel 3000 miles from the will of God, but you're not going to outrun him. Whatever God has been working in your heart, whatever God has been working in your life, whatever He's been telling you to do lately, whatever He's been impressing you to do as you read His Word and as you pray, as you hear the preaching, whatever He's been put on you, can I tell you tonight, stop running. Stop it. You're not going to run from Him. And all it's going to do is just going to make you broke and tired. Yep. There's a... license plate, one of those vanity plates I saw it said marine, marine sniper don't run you'll just die tired <laughs> marine sniper, don't run you'll just die tired listen, don't run from God don't run from God yeah. God said go, Jonas may have said no but God said yes <laughs> yes you will look at verse 4 but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Okay, so he, 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 he paid the fare. He got into the boat. He was going west to get out of the, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man to his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship in the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep." Now you think, well, how how did he sleep? Well, the lower you get down in the ship, the less you feel the movement of the sea. That's why they would go way down to go to sleep because, you know, the higher you're up above the water, the more you feel the boat go, right? You get on the mast, you feel 10 times what it is. You get down below, you don't feel it. So, you you know, he doesn't know what's going on down there. It's nice. So the verse 6, shipmaster comes to him and says, uh, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think on us that we perish not. It's like we've tried our gods. Okay, would you call on your God, and see if it works? Please. <laughs> I mean, the, the shipmaster, these guys are used to the oceans. When they're scared, everybody ought to be scared. Absolutely. It really should be. And they said, "Everyone to his fellow." Verse seven: Come now, let us cast lots that we may know for what cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. What did they do? Remember what happened here? They finally said, uh, "They finally said, uh, let's throw them out. Let's throw them out." Jonah said, "No." God said, "Yes, you are." What was I just praying earlier? that God would move the circumstances of the people we're praying for, that God would move in the circumstances of their life, that they would turn to you. Can I tell you God knows how to do that? No, listen, God, we have a free will, but God, listen, God knows how to move in our life to get our attention, that having our own free will, we say, yes, Lord. Paul, Lord, what will you have me to do? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Remember little Samuel. When Eli told him. When God was calling. I don't know if you've ever, anybody know, remember Howard Jewell? Remember the singer Howard Jewell? Anybody? He had a song, I like this. It said this. Here's the first verse. When the Canaanite hardened their heart against God and grieved them because of their sin, God sent along hornets to bring them to time and help his own people to win. The hornets persuaded them that it was best to go quickly and not to go slow. God did not compel them to go against their will, but he sure made them willing to go. And the the third verse says this. He writes about Jonah. When Jonah was sent to the work of the Lord, the outlook was not very bright. He had He never had done such a hard thing before, so he backed and ran off from the fight. But God sent a big fish to swallow him up. The story I'm sure you all know. He did not compel him to go against his will, but he sure made him willing to go. And the chorus says, he does not compel us to go. Oh no, he does not compel us to go. He does not compel us to go against our will, but he sure makes us willing to go. Boy, I think that's so true. You see what he's doing here? It's what God's doing in Jonah's life. He's on his way to Tarshish. He's he's it's in a bad place. Now they're casting lots. It fell on Jonah, and they're like, What's going on? Right? And he tells them, I'm running from God. I'm running from God. And uh And he says in verse twelve, well look at verse ten. Then then were the Verse 9, and when he said, I'm in Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. They're like, we're dead. (laughs) Right? Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? And what they said, verse 12, he said, throw me out. I'm not gonna sing that song, okay? But he said, Throw me out, the sea will be calm to you. They said, No, we're not gonna do that. They waited a little longer and a little longer. Finally, verse fifteen, they took up Jonah, cast him forth from the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Look at this, verse sixteen. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice on the Lord and made vows. I mean, it's one thing when the storm's raging, that's normal, right? And then this guy says, yeah, I'm running from the God of heaven who made the sea, by the way, who made the earth, who made everything earth. I'm running from him. And this is his judgment against me. They said, "Uh oh, then they waited. Then they said, fine, threw him out. Then the sea stopped. Uh Oh, yeah. Let's make vows. (laughs) Let's turn to this God. You know what Jonah did? Jonah said, no. God said yes. And then Jonah said yes. Right? Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Isn't that interesting? Can I tell you the, God, the callings of God are without repentance? The Bible says the callings of God are without repentance. What does that mean? He does not change his mind. No, some people send their calling away and they can't fulfill it because of sin. Right? But it's still there. They can't fulfill it, no. And they can't fulfill it anymore. There, there are some pastors that send away their calling. They, they're not qualified to pastor anymore. And some of them still desire to pastor. That's why they go out and find somewhere else. Why? Because the callings of God are without repentance. What a miserable spot that is. To still have that desire. No, biblically you can't continue there. Because you've sinned it away. God called him, look at this, a second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Same call. Didn't change. God's call hasn't changed today. Rise up and go and preach. That's the same calling. Go ye unto all the world. Preach the gospel. It's the same calling today. It hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his mind. So, he gets up and he goes to Nineveh, verse 5. People of Nineveh, well, I'm sorry, verse 2, 3. So Jonah rose up and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now this was a shock to the Ninevites. Why? Who'd, I wonder what Jonah looked like when he got there. He had been in the stomach of a whale for three days and three nights. There's a story of James Bartley. He was uh, with a British uh, crew of whale, whalers and uh, back in the it was 1870 and back in those days we've been at nantucket island and and of course the story of moby dick and all of those areas and they were the whaling ships up there in new england and what they would do they'd come their their boats they'd come up alongside of these whales and they throw the harpoon in them and they were <clears throat> you're on for a ride you're in that boat hooked to this whale waiting for that thing to stop and die what what a job could you imagine these guys were nuts And so here's this crew of British whalers down off the Falkland Islands, South America. They'd come up alongside this whale, this huge sperm whale, and they got right up alongside it, jammed that that, uh, harpoon right into the vital area, and uh, boom, off he goes. And he said it reared up, and it came down, and water went everywhere. And on that boat was James Bartley, his first time at sea as a whaler. I'll tell you this, it was his last time, too. And as that whale came down, his tail came down and the water went up, they said his mouth opened up and uh, two of the men, one of them being James Bartley, went into the water, went into the whale's mouth. And the other the other men that stayed in the boat, <laughs> that actually stayed in the boat, said so they you know they saw the blood in the water and everything else. They finally followed the whale. The whale floated up, and it was such a big one. They just had to start cutting the blubber off of it from their ship and hauling it up onto the ship and cutting it up and all that stuff. And uh, ladies, that's where a lot of your makeup comes used to come from. Uh, vomit the whale vomit was a lot of maiden perfumes and all that stuff. I'm serious. And so. Uh, yeah, just, just I'm sorry. Yeah, so, huh? I'm with that. <laughs> so they don't do it anymore. So, so, so anyway, uh, they cut the stomach out and they brought the stomach up, and James Bartley was in the stomach. They pulled him out. The doctor on the ship told him to throw seawater on him. You can go read this. Threw seawater on him. He finally came to. He's totally, totally delirious. I mean, he was, his mind was gone. He went nuts. For it took him months to recover. And uh, after he was after so long, he finally came to himself. Finally recovered. But he was blind for the rest of his life. And his skin was bleached white because of the acids in the whale's stomach. He had no hair left on his body. Now hold on a minute. Jonah was three days and three nights in the in the belly of this whale. Could you imagine what he looked like when he came into Nineveh? Bleached white, without hair on his body, coming out, going through the city, going repent, repent, right, repent. Look what he says here. Uh, he began to cry. He entered the city and he cried. And yet, yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, I mean, this is the Middle East, friend. They're dark. They haven't seen an Anglo-Saxon walking through, some white European coming through. I mean, his features were all Middle Eastern, white as a ghost, without hair on his body most likely. They're going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, right? Yeah. You know what happened? They repented. They did. He came into Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Nineveh was like the control central. It was like the command post for the war machine of the Assyrian army. Yeah. That's why Jonah hated him. He hated the Assyrians, especially Nineveh. That was the worst place to be. It would be the equivalent to God calling somebody to go to Japan in the 1940s after Pearl Harbor. They'd be like, uh-uh. I don't know about that. Yeah. It be like God calling a Jew to go to Germany in the 40s. Yeah. Jonah was not going to have compassion on the Ninevites. They were the enemy. They were absolutely the enemy. The only reason really Jonah did go is because God kind of offered him up. It's kind of a whale of an offer, right? (laughs) Yeah. It was. He compelled them to go, didn't he? Now watch this. Nineveh repents. I mean, they the king, everybody, man, they repent, they get in sackcloth and ashes. They put sackcloth and ashes on their animals. I mean, these people are serious. I mean, everybody is falling under this and, 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 and they repent and, and, and they get right. Look at this first five. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't believe. Well, I love this. They didn't believe Jonah. He was just the mouthpiece. They believed God. They believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came into the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him. What is he doing? He took his kingly garments, his, his, his robes that showed his, his, uh, his authority and his, and, and, and his position in Nineveh. He laid those aside. What is he saying? He put God over him above his own authority. He was putting God as the lord. He laid his robes aside and he uh, uh, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor flock, I'm sorry, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yet let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. Who can tell if God will turn, will repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they are turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said unto them. He would do unto them. And he did it not. Yeah. What did Nineveh do? They repented. They repented. Now don't, don't, don't miss the order in this. I know some people go to seed on Jonah, on Jonah 3.10. And say that repentance is not necessary. They say repentance is a work. Would you listen real closely please? God is the initiator. God draws, Amen. God is the initiator. If God is the initiator, any repentance is only a response to Him. It's not a work; it's a response because God initiated it. It would be a work if they did something that God never initiated, like baptism, baptismal regeneration. Why is that a work? Because God never initiated. God never, never said to do that. That's a that's a work, right? This isn't a work why because God, God was the one doing the work God was the one drawing and what was, what was it that they did first look at verse five they believed the belief preceded the repentance it's not, you know it's not a work here repentance is just a response it's an outworking of belief right it's a byproduct of belief right okay but they believed and they repented so, they got right with God? I mean, you talk about a revival service. That was awesome. Could you imagine? Could you imagine when these uh, preachers going to some city at a church and they, they invite the whole city out and comes back and goes, man, they all oh, got saved. I mean, we'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, that'd be exciting. Jonah sulked, he was mad. He was irritated, right? He was upset. Look at chapter four and verse six, and the—I'm sorry. Verse. Look at verse. But it displeased Jonah. Verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed in the Lord and said, "I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when yet I was in my country? Therefore I fled before Tarshish. This is why I did it." For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee my, thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I don't want to live with these, with these uh, Ninevites that are, that, that are now godly. <laughs> I don't want to live around these people. Therefore now, take my life, verse 4. And the Lord says, then, then said the Lord, then saith the Lord, doest thou well to be angry so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth put up a tent and he sat under it the shadow till he might see what would become of the city maybe he was hoping for God's judgment to fall I don't know He just wanted to see what was going to happen. I don't know why. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Now watch this. Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. They got right with God. I mean, I mean, you, you can't deny that they believed the word of God. They repented. They got. They got. They got in a right relationship with God. Jonah was mad. But now he has a gourd, and the gourd made him glad. Yeah. Yeah. People getting right with God made him mad, and a gourd made him glad. Kind of confusing, isn't it? For a child of God. Yeah. Now look what happens next. Verse 7. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise and God prepared a vehement east wind that the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and he wished himself to die. And he said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even to death. Now listen to verse 10. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored neither madeest it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare none of that great city wherein there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? Verse 10 God said I made the gourd has no eternal soul. Verse 11 the Bible says, God said, I fashioned mankind. We have a soul. We're made after the likeness and image of God. One of these days, uh, every, everyone on this planet will reside for their, all of the rest of their eternal existence, either in heaven or in hell. They'll exist either with God or uh, apart, from, apart from God. So, what was Jonah's problem? Isn't this weird? He said, thou hast had pity on the gourd. Wait a minute. The people got saved, you got mad. The gourd came, you got glad. When the gourd died, wait, watch, watch, watch. When the gourd died, he had pity on the gourd. But he didn't have pity on the thought of eternal souls forever separated in hell that's weird what is it that is a confused compassion that is a twisted compassion and because of the way the Assyrians treated Judah Jonah refused to show compassion on them he had a greater passion for a plant than he did lost souls say, so how could he do this? I don't know. How do Christians have more concern for their front yard than they do for their neighbor that lives across from them? How, how do Christians have more concern for a tree that dies in their house or a plant that dies in their window than they do for their neighbor that lives next to them that has a soul that is going to go to either heaven or hell? I mean, Jonah's, it's, I mean, we look at this the way it's presented. It's like, huh? how on earth? Well, hold on, friend. How on earth? How do we do it? I don't know what was going on in Jonah's life before his calling. But knowing the condition of Judah at this time and the response of Jonah, I think it might be safe to say that Jonah's compassion's were confused and he was placing value on things that God did not place value. Over in Jeremiah chapter 3, and I'll be done here in just a minute. Jeremiah chapter 3, God reveals Israel's problem. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 7, he, he says this, He he addresses backsliding Israel and treacherous Judah. He calls Israel the the, the 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 northern kingdom Southern kingdom Northern Kingdom Israel Southern Kingdom Judah I think I'm right I mean, okay thank you he calls Israel he calls Israel backsliding but he calls Judah treacherous yeah. Israel oh I got it written down right here look at that Southern kingdom was called backsliding because their departure from God was visible. You can see somebody's backsliding. You you can see it. Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes it's evident. The way they look, the way they talk, the places they go where they don't go anymore. Right? It becomes visible. They looked like they were backslidden. But Judah was called treacherous. Oh, listen close. Because their departure from God was not visible. Everything looked all right on the outside. But the heart wasn't right. They dressed right. They talked right. They talked about the right, they listened to the right music. The hair was just right. The clothes were right. Everything was right. But inside it was a mess. This is Jonah, I think. Everything looked right. He was a prophet. He was a prophet of God. And he eventually did what God told him to do, but it was in protest. But God took a plant to reveal his heart. Know what he revealed about his heart? He had more compassion for the plant than he did for those humans created after the likeness and image of God whom God loves. Who have an eternal soul. Confused compassions. The world has them, don't they? The world has them. Save the whales. Kill the babies. And we're like... You get a whale beached on some ocean somewhere, and it's viral... Everybody has the, the hearts, and so they can't, oh, look, look at that beautiful, oh, and everybody's throwing water on it and digging and trying to get it out. They will spend time and money in cranes and trucks and water things. I mean, they're just going crazy to get this thing uh, thing off the off the ocean, and everybody is just, oh, my God, this is wonderful. Yeah. But they'll take a pair of scissors And jam it into the back of a baby's head and pull it out of that mother and throw it in the trash. And everybody says, oh, eh. It's her choice. That's sick, man. It's so twisted. Talk about confused compassions. That's messed up. The world has them, don't they? We're all about women's rights. Well, you know, Iran and Iraq, they're wonderful. (laughs) go over there and scream women's rights can I tell you Christianity has elevated the place of women farther than any 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 religion in the world has ever done and a young girl told me that on and on about her rights we don't have rights I said you should go to Iran and say that see how far you get if it's so bad (laughs) Right. But let me tell you, Christians have confused compassions as well. And then I'll be done. Here, here's, I'm only on my second time telling you I'm done. So I have one more after this. You know them. They're missionaries. They're missionaries. No, they're not really, but they call themselves missionaries. And they go into farther lands, and other lands and other nations, and other continents. And they get money and they... they get all the funds and they show the pictures across the world and they go over there and they build houses and dig wells and show them how to have clean water and how to brush their teeth and they go home without ever giving them the gospel or planting a church. No, that's confused compassion. I've said it over and over again. I'll say it again. All they have done is given them a a, a a better place, a more comfortable place to go to hell from. Yeah. Christians, you've seen them. They'll, they'll march for a cause. We're anti-vax. We're anti-vax. Yeah, march. I mean, that's fine. It's fine. It's wonderful. I'm not opposed to that. But they'll never walk the streets with the gospel. <laughs> right? They, would, they wouldn't ever show up on on a Saturday morning visitation, but they'll march all over the place for anti-vax, or whatever, whatever thing they want to march for. Oh, they'll march for anything. Except, right, a city that's dying and going to hell. No, that's a confused compassion. It really is. You've seen them. They, 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 these others, they have this urgency in politics. We've got to vote for this one. We've got to get this one in. got And I'm all for that. I'm all for voting for the right people. Don't get me wrong, but they listen. They will spend their life about politics, but they have no urgency to grow the kingdom of God. They want America restored to some utopia that never existed, but they could care less about the kingdom of God. That is a confused compassion. That is a misplaced compassion. It really is. We've got to be careful. Because in these things, God begins to reveal our heart, where our heart really is. Let me ask you, what really gets you moved tonight? I'm going, to, I'm going to be done. I'm just going to stop. What moves you to compassion? What moves you? Is it a political rally? Is the hope of who the next president might be? Yeah Is it your front yard? Thankfully, ours is just dirt right now, so I, that doesn't move me much. Someday, no. Oh. What moves you? What moves you to compassion? When you look out at a sea of people in our own nation, in our own town, in our own neighborhoods, I mean, we've got to be reminded of this all the time. We get so distracted. When we look out at all of these people, are we moved to compassion? Understanding that the percentage of them that are on their way to a Christless hell who need the truth and we have it. Does that move us? We're called by God to reach the world of the gospel. Black, white, Hispanic, Muslim, Jewish, Hebrew. We're called to reach the world. God wants the world to be saved. He said they're not going to be. That's not the point. The point is you have the same heart that God has. Where's your compassion tonight? You know what our goal is? I think it should line up, just line up with... uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but I have everlasting life. That's God's goal. Let's be careful. May God help us tonight that we don't have a confused compassion. That we don't have a compassion on something like the gourd and and miss place when it should be on souls on people with a with a with a with a with a soul that is going to exist somewhere when they die yeah. Father I spent maybe too much time trying to get to this point here but I thank you for it We all we all are compassionate people we all have the the ability to have compassion and sympathy We all have the ability to look out at the world and want to do something about injustices and and, and needs and things like that. But I know it's, it's so easy for us. Not that some of these other things are wrong to be compassionate about. No, absolutely not. But God, would you help us never, never to put a compassion misplaced on something where it should never be. Help us, God, to put our, keep our compassion on the thing that you believe is the greatest thing there is, uh, your, your creation made after your likeness and image with a soul that will exist eternally somewhere. Father, would you help us to keep our compassions where they ought to be? Would you help us to keep our compassions in check? Would you help us to keep our compassions biblical? Would you help us to keep our compassions in line with your heart? Lord, would you help us that, that our compassions would be your compassions? That we wouldn't get confused? Would you help us to do that? We thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. The instrument's going to play. We'll have an invitation here just for a little bit. Have the Lord spoken to you tonight. Maybe you need to be alone with the Lord a little bit tonight and ask Him to help you. Maybe there's an area that the Holy Spirit of God is saying, you know what, you've been pretty concerned with this over here and it's, you've actually, it's taken place of something that you should be far more concerned about. Can I tell you, there's some things in this world that kind of don't matter. At the end of it all, in the, in the scope of eternity, they just kind of don't matter. We all stand here tonight. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer for the Martin. Would you close us in prayer tonight?